David and Goliath when we left off. We were just getting ready to go into trial, and this was a big five-week trial in federal court, serious as it can be. This would be essentially a life sentence for my client if he's convicted, and boy, did we have a Goliath to face. Essentially, this is the part where we're kind of metaphorically gathering up our rocks and loading up our slingshots so we can hit Goliath right between the eyes. So I think I can make this really as simple as possible. Why I don't believe he's guilty of theft of trade secrets and why I don't understand why they did it. So a trade secret, like I mentioned, was is something like this recipe for Coca-Cola or someone's secret sauce. And in those recipes, notice those they don't get patents on those. And there's a reason they don't get a patent on it, because it's way too secret to get a patent. Because when someone gets a patent, then there are two problems with it. When, they, when you get a patent, it's public information. It's published. And the second problem is there's a time limit on it. It will only last like 17 years and then the patent runs out. That's why they will begin doing generic medicines and all of that. Because they could have a corner on a market while the patent is in place. But once that patent goes away, then everyone can copy it. So if it's a true trade secret, they don't even patent it. Note, like, like I said, there's no patent on the, on the Coca-Cola recipe. And there never will be. Because they don't want that to expire. And they don't ever want anyone to ever see what the recipe is. Here we go. So the government has two main prosecutors on their side. Okay. And they had the federal agent, and then they had an IT guy there also. But then in the gallery, Beckton Dickinson, BD, had brought some of their lawyers to help the prosecution. They said wow. to observe. They said to observe, but I'm calling BS on that because uh-huh. I saw them yep. not just observing, but conferring, meeting with sure. the, the prosecutors constantly. It was so frustrating. That's why I call this case David and Goliath. We were taking on a huge machine. Yeah, yeah. Not just the U.S. Mm-hmm. government, but but a yeah. multi-billion dollar Billion company. dollar business. That wanted that to see this anything. guy go down. Wow. So that one of the hard parts was when they played that recording mm-hmm. of Min. And remember, Min was totally blindsided at that interrogation right. meeting. Right. He had no idea what was coming. And they're asking him questions. Where was his legal representation? Exactly. None. Yeah. He had none. Yeah. But did they have no. lawyers in the room? Absolutely. Oh, of course. And they're recording it and everything he's saying will be used against him. And it was. Sure. It was played yeah. in a court of law. And it, it looks bad. If you don't know... Yeah. What's coming and you've never been interrogated before? It's probably you know? not going to go well for you. Mm-hmm. That's why I always tell my clients, don't talk without an attorney present. I don't care how innocent you are. Mm-hmm. Make sure you have an attorney to help you cuz this is what mm-hmm. they do for a living. Exactly. They're going to tie you up in knots. And right. you won't even know you're in knots until you're there. Exactly. And tie you in a knot in the direction they want you to go. Yep. So that was used as part of their case against him. This was a five-week trial. I'm trying to summarize it as quickly as I can. They had <laughs> that boss that I'd served the subpoena to. He uh-huh. testified. And he, oh, he is just an arrogant jerk. He was uh-huh. like, he knew the policy. He wasn't supposed to have anything in his home. And yeah, he wasn't supposed to travel to China and blah, 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 all this. Blah, whatever. 
And they had executive after executive testifying like that to make Min just look like he was sneaky and underhanded about all of this. Right. Mm -hmm. Was he the one that actually signed the paper that said, yes, go to China? Nope, not him. Okay. We had that guy. I brought that guy. Oh, as your witness. Yes. But he doesn't come in because at first the government presents their case. So we have to just sit back while they present all their best stuff. So it was days of testimony of their people, and it was good. But knowing what I knew and who, what witnesses we had, I thought, I think we're going to be okay. But you never know what a jury's going to believe. No, you don't. Mm -mm. So as their last witness, they brought in Miss Lucas Savage, who was at that time their patent attorney. Okay. And I'm sure these lawyers are making... At least three hundred thousand a year, if not five hundred, uh-huh. salaried. We're talking high-priced lawyers. Big and, guns. They're the big yeah. guns. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So there are four people sitting at government's table. Behind that, BD had their own attorneys, and on most days there were five or six of them sitting there, reviewing, watching everything that the prosecution does, assisting them, guiding them, do this and. Okay. One of those lawyers, the prosecutors, used Beckton Dickinson's lawyer as expert witness. Oh. You've heard about the other witnesses that spoke, but she was their last witness. So the government goes first, and then they want to hit their expert and knock it out of the park with their last witness that goes up for them before the defense takes it. And so they put this woman up there, and some of their witnesses, as you've heard, they're kind of offensive, not very smooth. Their expert was very smooth, and she talked slowly, and this is some pretty complex stuff, and we're trying to simplify it for everyone, and a jury to try to understand all of this, like, unbelievable that people will sit on a jury and go through it. It can be tedious and intense, and that people do it is incredible. And so this woman was... Very more personable than the other witnesses had been. On the witness stand, she would lean forward right towards the jury. And she would look at all of the jurors right in the eyes. Where a lot of people, you almost can't coach someone to be a good witness. You can tell them things. But to be natural in that setting, it just just doesn't happen. It's rare. It's rare. And she was very natural in that setting. I I will give her that. You may have noticed I don't really like her. And I had never seen our expert work. And Jason was our expert. I'm going to introduce you just a second here. <laughs> I had never seen Jason work to know what it really what we had other than just some conversations with him. Okay. But I was thinking, like, man, she's pretty good. And they had her on the stand for, like, three hours. It is a oh, wow. long time for her to testify. Okay. I really think their plan was let's take the whole day and end with her and we were only going to give the defense 30 minutes of time to unravel what we did because truly in that three hours it really felt to me like she almost had them like eating out of her hand like they were just like nodding their heads Uh uh-huh uh-huh and every minute that would go closer to the end of court day I was like crap Like, we want more time because you don't want to let the jury leave with that taste in their mouth. We want to cleanse their palate with our witness so that they have our thoughts in their head. It seems like that would be a strategy for each side. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. With the last thought, the last... Exactly. And they were trying and trying, and there were parts of it that were just tedious and... But she did a very good job making it as interesting as she could. 
And I thought, wow, she's a good witness. Like, this is going to be tough. And they only gave us 30 minutes, and the lawyers and I, we conferred. We're like, what do we do? We only have 30 minutes. Do we put Jason on? Okay. And we decided, let's do it. Let's put him on and just get started. Even if all we do is get started, we got to cleanse their palate from all this that she heard. I had no idea how good Jason is. So let me introduce you formally. This is Jason Webb. He was our expert in the case. Jason is a stud rock star in patent law. The guy is brilliant. And what's even better than being brilliant is he can take all that brilliance and all the technical stuff and he dumbs it down to not only make it so we can understand, but he actually made it entertaining and fun for us. So let me introduce everyone. This is Jason Webb. I love him. If I'm in a foxhole and I need a patent guy to help me figure something out, that's my first call is to Jason Webb. Hey, everybody. Nice to meet you. Love it. Love it. Love it, Jason. I didn't really know him very well. The minute I met Jason in person, I was like, I love this guy. I just connected with him. I met him through another attorney. We'll talk about him many, many times, Marcus. Uh, You'll hear about him later a lot more. But Marcus was not directly involved in this one. So I was like, Jason, you ready to go? Jason is so laid back. He's like, yeah, I'm ready. And I'm thinking, oh, man, like, I don't know if he gets it. Like, if the courtroom was, like, on a balance, it was tipping over their way because it was so heavy on their side. Not just with people, but these are lawyers. And they're and brilliant lawyers, no doubt. And Coming very, very win. well-paid yeah. lawyers, yes. Yeah. So we get Jason on the stand, and I'm not kidding. I'm in the gallery watching. I'm Part of my job is to watch the jury. I am not exaggerating. I have never seen a jury love a witness faster than they love Jason Webb. Oh, wow. Yes. That's a great compliment. Wow. It was so awesome. I was almost giggling. Because he t- he took this stuff. I'm blushing. <laughs> it's, he took what their expert had done, Lucas Savage, in three uh-huh. hours. And he unraveled it in 30 minutes before we were done. That's awesome. I think the jury thought, like, afterwards, like, man, why'd they waste all our time with all that three hours with that other lady when we could have been listening to Jason? That's awesome. And Jason started out, will you please tell us? And you don't need to go into all the specifics of this. There are some things we do want to go into. But first, Jason just started explaining, like, patent law. and. So, yeah, one, there's, there's really four requirements to get a patent. You know, one of them is that it has to be novel. It has to be new. It also can't be obvious. Another one is it has to be patentable subject matter. And that's sort of like, like a list of things we patent and a list of things we don't, right? And then the last one is it has to be useful. Like you can't get patents on things that aren't useful. But that threshold's really, really low. And if you look at the patent, you know, historically at the kinds of things we've gotten patents on, there are over 30 patent registrations on self-butt-kicking machines. <laughs> um, like literally... <laughs> You turn a crank, and and then there's a wheel with a boot, and it hits you in the butt. And I actually did a little study on this, and what it was, back in, I think it was the 1800s, there were a lot of clubs, like a lot of men's clubs, okay. that wanted to haze the new members, oh. but it was... It was not appropriate for a man to touch another man's butt, <laughs> but they wanted to spank him, right? Oh and so they had to have machines 
so that they would spank themselves and then everybody would laugh, no. haha, that's right. funny, right? And then you could be part of the club, yeah. right? And so it turned out this was a useful machine oh, to gosh. have a man spank himself in the butt for everybody's amusement. And so when I say it's got to be useful, it's got to be at least that useful. <laughs> oh my right? gosh. So, that's the best story right. ever. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty funny. That's great. Mm-hmm. It, when you're talking about Pat, like seriously, there was nothing that their expert said that could even bring a smile to anyone's face. No. So to go from that to this story right out of the shoot, uh-huh. it mm-hmm. was almost like we were like, thank you. Like everyone in the courtroom, <laughs> like, thank you. Thank you for bringing just a little bit of humor and lightness into this yeah. very heavy and complicated situation i was gonna say but Mm -hmm. it also made an interesting point like you've given the rules of what it qualifies and then you gave the simple it was like oh okay now i get it so that was great yeah and i've always been that way i've always been really intolerant of very boring situations and so i was the kid that got in trouble for making funny comments in class (laughs) i was you know i thought i think everybody thought it was funny i think the opposing counsel thought it was funny oh i know the judge Um, laughed yeah yeah and it was like we were all in this desert of like Mm -hmm. boredom and dryness and so when jason Mm -hmm. came in and it was like he was giving us all water we're like thank you we were so (laughs) thirsty for some kind of entertainment thank you thank you it was awesome you could just see the frustration in Mm -hmm. the government side and bd's side in their council they did Mm -hmm. not like jason because they didn't no they they really didn't Could you kind of paint a couple broad strokes of what you looked at as an expert in this case that would have helped the jury reach their verdict? So there's principles of patent law that are complicated and difficult. And and that literally, so like the, the, the concept of obviousness, like so I mentioned it before, right? There's novelty, there's obviousness, right? So, well, what's obvious? And there are thousands of cases that are helping to explain what's obvious and what's not obvious. But that's actually something that matters a lot of times in these cases. And a jury has to kind of make at least some evaluation in regards to that. So you've got to be able to find some way to explain to them, well, what is obvious, what's not obvious, and kind of how do you tell. Mm -hmm. And to tell you the truth, the reason we have thousands of cases and hundreds and hundreds of pages of explaining is I don't think there's actually a good answer to the question. Oh, I think that it's a question that is just is so fraught with reasonable disagreement among people. Mm-hmm. So what we have to do is we have to sort of build this pattern of, well, most of the time we sort of feel this way in these situations and feel another way in another situation. And so then let's see what that pattern looks like, right? Okay. And, you know, the people that are really deciding these things day in and day out, the examiners and then the attorneys like me that are arguing with the examiners, you start to get a, a gut feel that really starts to matter. And then you kind of get a sense of where the examiner's gut feel is to, right? You can't go into that with a jury, right? They don't have five years to no, learn right, this. Right. So you've got to explain things in a way that's going to make sense, be immediately accessible, and also, from my point of view, not going to be boring. And that is a skill to be able to do all of that. I'll say... Um, and one of the things that I like to do is I like to make it really simple because one of the very difficult things about patent cases 
is that the technology is hard to understand and the law is hard to mm -hmm. understand. Mm -hmm. And you have both of those things that are hard to understand happening at the same time. Uh. And so what I'll do is I'll make the technology super simple. Yeah. Right. So I've got a story that I tell and I, I say, you know, let's say that there was a patent office in the caveman days okay. and we're all cavemen. Right. And we're wanting to get a patent. And one of us comes up with this fantastic invention and the invention is a chair. Right. And the chair is a log that's been cut twice, flat on one side, flat on the other. And you stick it up by the fire and then now you can sit down and now the elderly people in, in the caveman tribe, they don't have to stand up from the ground, they can stand up from the chair. And this is a wonderful thing for them, yeah. right? We're really happy about this. And the invention is a cylinder, right? Okay. So now I've, I've made the technology super simple, and then I can start talk about improvements to that chair. Because mm -hmm. there's ways to improve that chair. That chair is a heavy chair. That chair is hard to carry from place to place, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there's ways to make it lighter, right? But by making the technology very simple and easy to understand, then all their mental effort, every, everybody who's listening, their mental effort can all be focused on the difficult parts of the law without being distracted by difficult kinds of technology. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. For intellectuals, uh, it's very interesting. I'm on the level yes. of the chair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if you guys are going to draw me pictures yeah, or something yeah, to help me. Exactly. I'll stay with the chair and the butt-kicking machine. I got it. There we go. Exactly. Go. So with Min, Min had over, God, I think it was over 200 patents. Is that what, Do you remember that, Jason, the number or anything? I don't remember the number, but I remember he was really prolific. Yes. He, that, that, guy, that guy has a lot of ideas. Wow. Oh, a lot of ideas. Amazing. A lot going on in okay. his head. His idea and what he w was getting in trouble for on this case was a dual cap. He already had a single cap, but this dual cap, BD had the patent on it. Okay. They owned, and all of the patents that men got, because he was employed with Becton Dickinson, they, keep they owned the patents, and okay. he didn't mind that at all. Okay. That was, that was the agreement, and he was happy to do it. Okay. Men got paid very well. Okay. And he loved his job. He was planning to just retire from that okay. job forever. Our first witness out of the shoot was to have Jason come on, and he was explaining that, yes, BD had tons of patents, and men didn't have any other patents outside of BD. Okay. He didn't mm -hmm. try to get licensing for his patents, new ideas, even though he was planning to retire soon. He kept saying, you guys need to bring someone in and train them so that they can replace me. I, I can't do this forever. Right. I don't want to do this forever. So you need someone else to come in and, and learn. I need to teach what I know. I need to pass this on to someone else. Okay. He really took a lot of pride in his inventions. Okay. He took a lot of pride in and the difference that he had made in the world and was making in the world. It was, okay. a, it was a real, real amazing thing. I've never met anyone like Min before. He was, he, he, he's such a character. And as part of that, so none of those patents, what we were showing, and I think we had Jason go through, was that all of these patents belonged to Becton Dickinson. He wasn't trying to circumvent Beck BD. He was trying to figure out a way to make more money with the patents that they had already licensed. Okay. 
he'd seen it before and, and we explained that. One of the principles that I think is important to understand in these cases, and I, and I feel like it was important for the jury to understand in this case, is that, I mean, the whole point of having a patent is so that you are the only one who can decide if someone can make, sell, or use the invention. Okay. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. And so where there's a company that owns the patent on something, right? Mm -hmm. If someone makes business plans to make, sell, or use that invention, they're going to have to get permission from the company that owns the patent. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Right? And that company can either give permission or not. Right. There's, there's, there's very few situations where there's a fairness rule that requires the company to license, okay? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, so then a question would be that you might ask yourself is how is it possible for someone to steal something from you if they have to get permission from you at the end of the day to do anything with it? So how have they actually stolen Okay, okay, right? wait. So you're saying, let's go back to the chair. If I, if you say, mm -hmm. if I'm going to build the chair, and I have to get right. permission mm -hmm. from you. And I've, I've gone to the caveman uh -huh. patent office and, and gotten uh -huh. my patent. And you've mm -hmm. got your patent, right. and then I say, but I want to build mm -hmm. that same chair. You have to give me permission mm -hmm. before I can build the chair. So you're... Right, and I could just tell you yeah. now. I could just tell you now. And then yeah, I'd have I have to figure say, something nope, else out. And then you Not can't you. do it. Yeah. And I can't do yeah, it. And you can't do it. Okay. Right. Right. And that, he really did make it simple. And that's exactly what we were dealing with in this case. Yeah. They were charging him with theft of trade secrets, but BD owned the, owned the, the patents. So anyone that was manufacturing it would have to get a per permission or a license from BD to manufacture it. Okay. So it was, I think the government was trying to kind of make it complicated so that the jury, like, don't look over there. Right. Because that's really, that's that's very simple. We don't want you to think of it like that. Look at what he did. And then I brought in all these engineers that had worked underneath men, that worked in his lab with him. And they explained how, yeah, we always backed up everything on our computers. We backed it up everywhere. And they would, and we had Min's wife testify because their entire lives, every time they traveled, Min was working on his computer on different inventions, different right. patents mm -hmm. that he was working on. Even when he was vacationing, he was really still working because he was a workaholic. Yeah. That's what he knew. And yeah. he loved it. He loved right. it. He prided himself in making our world cleaner, safer, and better. Mm -hmm. And better. Both of his sons are doctors. And okay. he had one of the sons come and testify as to his character. That, Like, hey, my dad didn't lie. He didn't cheat. He didn't do this. And then I start bringing in the heavier guns. And we're bringing in his boss that wrote the letter mm -hmm. for him to go to China. And we shared that letter. We had the email. And so there's part right. of me that's, th I'm thinking, I hope the jury is thinking, why did they bring this to trial if they actually had this? No. Like, if he had permission, right. they had to right. know, that he, because they paid for his travel to China. Right, like, right. What in the world? This is so crazy. And then, remember the guy that owned the company, made, sold his oh, company for, for, for yep, for the single yes. cap, that had mm -hmm. made hundreds of millions. I We wanted him to testify so that the 
the jury could see this was a real thing that this guy took and made it into a product. Not just that was an idea that he had. This guy made it a product and made millions. And so when we called this guy, when I called him and we interviewed him, oh my gosh, it was so fascinating, Shelly. Like, it was Uh way over my head intellectually. But the coolest thing, to see these brilliant minds all working together and how can we make this to save Right. To, to, uh-huh. to keep everyone safe from bacteria. And, and now that we have this virus going on, it's even a bigger deal. Sure, sure. Because that's what it's all about, is trying mm-hmm. to keep us safe from viruses and bacteria. It's everything. It's not a big deal when we're all safe, but then all of a sudden right. when we're not, then it's like, right. oh. Like, Life like my, yep. my grandma used to always say, no one misses the well until the well runs dry. Exactly. Like, we don't appreciate this stuff until we're like, now we're in this pandemic. And that guy was amazing. Like we had him scheduled for me and I was coordinating the witnesses for me uh-huh. to, to coordinate witnesses. Like some of these people lived in California and New York and, and some lived right here in Utah and to coordinate right. all of their schedules. Uh-huh. And, and we would, I would pay for their airfare. And we had this woman that had worked over men and, BD had hired her and they'd promised her, we're going to, you have so many wonderful ideas. We're going to take your ideas and, and create these inventions. You are going, and she was so excited. She thought she was going to be like the queen of health, of antiseptics sure. in the world. Because that uh-huh. was her, that was her specialty. Right. And she right. also just happened to be this gorgeous, like not just sharp, but she was also beautiful, articulate, uh-huh. like uh-huh. I'm looking at all these people going, man, this isn't fair. They got it all. Like, <laughs> yeah, they got, exactly. They got the looks, the intelligence that, and they were athletic yeah. and they were, yeah. and they, yeah. and they have all the money too. Like what the yeah. crap? I yeah. must've wait, got, wait, I must've gotten stuck in the line. Like I want to play the sax. Like yeah. what? <laughs> I picked the wrong well, line. I, well, I picked the wrong line. Cause my talent is I can beat you at a word search. So at least you can play sax. Yeah, right. I can pick that word out just like that. Wow. It helped me so much in my life. Oh, yes. Yes, for Mm -hmm. sure. So we wanted her to testify because what she explained was she got hired by BD. She was promised, and she Mm -hmm. was way over men's in in position. She was over Uh him, like vice president of some portion of, of the BD. Right. And made a lot of money. Men made a lot. She made an insane amount, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I don't resent that from, I mean, these are brilliant people and they're doing really cool stuff. And, but what was really fascinating is she and that really good looking guy that I told you about that had, that Gabe wrote the letter for him. His name was Brian. And she and Brian had actually, they'd been hired to go, like, through South America to study, like, antiseptics and which which kind works the best in these third world countries and, that, like, really to change the world. And they mm-hmm. came back with all their ideas and she wrote them all up and presented them. And BD essentially, in her words, essentially took her ideas and threw them away. <gasps> they did nothing with nothing. her ideas. She, oh, and she, my gosh. She went from, like having such high high hopes right to just like to nothing crushed they plummeted it yeah they plummeted wow and it was so funny because like so i had to pick her up at the airport she's a very classy high salaried woman 
we put her up. When I say we, I mean our client paid for her to stay yeah. at the Grand America, which is no mm-hmm. cheap place. And right. and I say to her before she's coming in, okay, we're, I have to arrange her flight, and every we've got to arrange everything to make sure she's sure. here right when we need her to testify. These are crucial details. And I said, when you get to the airport, when you land in Salt Lake, would you like an Uber, or would you like me to pick you up? Now, mind you, I am coordinating all the other witnesses. She's not the only witness, so I have people testifying before her and sure. after her. She doesn't know that, and she that's okay. That's not... She doesn't need to be burned with that. Yeah. But she said, oh, yeah, it'd be really nice if you'd pick me up. So I'm like, okay. Um, I'm thinking, like, man, I don't have, like, uh, like fancy, I don't, I don't have a limo to pick you up in. Right. I'll be uh-huh. picking uh-huh. you up in my forerunner. <laughs> but I'll pick right. you up. So she's like, oh, And I okay. don't get out and open your door for you. Sorry, oh, ma'am. But yes, I did. Yes, I did. This oh, is yeah. so funny. So I get to the airport. I get to the airport, we're talking by phone, and I'm like, okay, I'm almost there, I'm in the black forerunner, and as I pull up, and I get out to shake her hand and meet her, and her bag is sitting, like, her two bags sitting right at her feet on the curb there, and I say, yeah, let's go get you checked into your hotel, she grabs, goes to open the passenger door, and I'm looking to see, like, wait, she didn't even pick up her bags, and then I realized, (laughs) oh, Oh, that's my job, (laughs) those for you so i didn't yeah, i just picked them up leave them at the curb yeah did you i should have gotten in the car and said did you mean to leave those there <laughs> like did you <laughs> like and i tell that just to show you these are people that are very high class they're used to being taken care of uh-huh. i am yes. not um, so it wouldn't uh-huh. occur to me uh-huh. to just walk away from my bags no. like <laughs> like hey i bet this woman's gonna pick up my bag for me yeah. so so I pick up her bag, throw it in the back, get her checked in. She's testifying, like, the next day. And, and she was a rock star. She explained perfectly what happened to her and her experience with BD. Right. And then I had another engineer that had worked at, with men at BD, mm-hmm. another one that testified. And his words, literally, these were his words. When I was interviewing him, what? Did, and, and he, so they asked the same question, similar question sure. on direct exam to him. Can you tell us like what the what it's like at BD? And I'm summarizing, but he was basically. I was really excited to get it, to work for such a big, like such a well reputation company. Co- yeah, company. And to sure. be an engineer oh, for I them. Agree. Yes, yeah. and to be an engineer for them. And I found out pretty quickly. I realized that Becton Dickinson is a place where dreams go to die. <gasps> Because oh. every idea that we would have, we're like, hey, this could be better. They would patent it, but put it on the shelf. Patent it. So they owned it, but they never wanted to they, do anything Their intention with it. was never to, yeah. Oh, that's which, terrible. Which made perfect sense for what I'm telling you. It makes sense with, like, the guy. And that the guy that ended up used, buying that single cap, his yeah. name was Bob. And I... Oh, man, I loved all these engineers. They were so fun to work with. The classy, beautiful woman. I sure. loved working. And she and mm-hmm. I both have cats, and we were talking about cats, and she was saying how sure. she hated leaving her cat at home, but she had a condo that she'd bought for her cat for when she leaves. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Okay. Uh, and, and so she would have I, a nanny go stay with her cat, and I'm like, 
That is so cool. When I grow up, I want to have that kind of money. That oh, is awesome. Okay. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. Because oh, I love my cat, I'm too. I'm not saying would... a word. Okay, I noticed that you're not. I know <laughs> you're being, mm-hmm. you're being mm-hmm. unusually quiet for Shelly. I just, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Um, Nothing and... against the cat. Nothing no, no, no. against the cat. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we had... <laughs> Multiple witnesses testify about that had been engineers that had similar experiences, and they were just reiterating over and over. Right. Yeah, we would take take it home. We would download it. We would, and I was hoping, yeah, they're they're going to get it. Like if they're listening, they'll right. get this. And we put men on the stand. I mean, that's scary. His English was horrible. At one point, the judge even asked, like, do you need a translator? No, he really really didn't need a translator. He understood everything, and he really was answering. It's just, he really sucked with his accent. It was such a thick accent that to have him on the stand, I think, was really powerful. Because I always tell you, if I can put my client on, I'm going to. Mm -hmm. Because a jury wants to hear their voice. See they do. them, mm-hmm. see how mm-hmm. they react to, to direct exam, mm-hmm. to cross exam. Mm-hmm. And they came at him a bit on cross exam. And I got to tell you, I can't tell you enough how much I love the lawyers that I was working with. Yeah. These guys were so smooth. They were so good. Yeah. It was such a pleasure. They weren't just like brilliant to get in Stanford. and all. These right. guys did their homework. They would meet with me right before, like the night before we were putting witnesses on the stand after trial, and we would meet with them and prepare them. Like, oh, it was so fun to work with people that were that smart. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, and, and that discipline that smart. they learned it. Yeah, I was going to say, not only smart, because there are a lot of smart people in the world, but they used yeah. it well, and they understood the steps to take to get where they needed to be. And they were willing yep. to take the time and make the effort to get yes. from A to B. Yeah. Oh, a, yeah. Cool. And like, yeah. like Tim Scott was, he was, he was similar to Jason Webb, like very mm-hmm. personable mm-hmm. and easygoing, very likable. And that's uh-huh. really important for a jury right. to like. I really do think it's a big deal whether they like yeah. the lawyers or not. Yeah. And What and about the other one? John was... Oh my, so brilliant. So, man, he knew, he knew everything about the case and they came on late in the game. So for them to get caught up to speed with such an intricate, involved case as this, it was, oh my gosh, such, so cool. I loved these guys. I loved working with them. And I think they weren't, they weren't really used to working with PIs. And I think the ones they worked with weren't very good because they, like, we didn't know how each other would be. And so we sure. were, I think both they and myself were pretty cautious going in. Like, right. we uh-huh. weren't sure if we really trusted each other initially. Sure. And it was like so much fun to get past that and then trust these guys. And they trusted me. And they knew, right. like, when we say, we need this, that I would bust my butt to get that done. To get it. Oh, it was so much fun to work with guys that were that passionate and that disciplined to know the case. Right. And because of that, they were killing it. And one of my favorite things was, like, no one in Utah does this where defense doesn't have to say who we're bringing, who our witness list is. 
but everyone always does because they they're friends. They're they, so right, hey, sure. if I'm rude yeah. to this guy now in the next trial, he'll I'll be rude see to next me. Time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and these guys didn't have that issue, so it was so fun because they could just be like, hey. We're not telling you who our witnesses because we don't have to. And then and lawyers were such crybabies. They were, the prosecutors, they were like, Your Honor, they won't tell us who they're bringing and we can't prepare. <laughs> and so the judge would turn to us. She'd like turn to us and school. she'd be like, and she'd be like um, Mr. Scott, Mr. Lemon, would you guys mind telling no. the prosecution who your witness is going to be? <laughs> and so as a courtesy, they would tell them, Kate, the night before, okay, we're bringing this guy tomorrow, this guy. So yeah. we would just barely, it was, and I'm not, it was hard for me to it's not laugh strategy. out loud in the yeah. courtroom because yeah. mm-hmm. I loved it because it gave them yeah. little time. And that's what they were complaining about. Like, we hardly have sure. any time to prepare. Yeah, well, we don't care. Those are the rules. Yeah, yeah. And so, so how go, did the trial end up? How did so it end go, up? The jury was out for two and a half days. Oh, wow. And that's a long time when your life is on the line. So I told you he was facing 11 counts of theft of trade secrets, but they actually, they were like split. So it was really 22 counts. So he had to be found not guilty on every single one of those to not serve any prison time. Oh, wow. Prior to trial, they offered him a plea of three and a half years in prison. He flat out turned it down. He said, no, I didn't do this. I'm not guilty of anything. Now, mind you, when you're charged with something, you don't have any money. The government will pay for your defense. In this case, he'd worked his whole life and he had money. This was his retirement he was dipping into to pay for his defense. Okay. So it is like years of of pain lawyers, years of defense. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. It really was a lot. Mm -hmm. And the jury's out for two and a half days. You're just so anxious. It's intense. And yeah. when we finally get word, when they give you word that the jury's back, so you can't be farther than 15 minutes from the courthouse is the rule. Okay. So when the jury comes back, the judge will send word out that the jury's in and you have 15 minutes to get to the courthouse. We get to the courthouse and then you walk in, you sit down. It's just like the movies. The jury comes in. And they have the defendant. In this case, they let him sit because there were so many counts to read through. They allowed okay. him to, to stay seated yeah. because they had to read through every single one. The jury hands the verdict to the judge. The judge starts reading through it. And mind you, five years of this going on for him, and this was a five-week trial. Very, very long Intense. I'd never yeah. seen, I'd really never seen emotions come from him. And I'd ask him how right. to deal with it. And he said, I, I go to church. I'm practicing my Buddhism. It's really helping. Mm-hmm. And they started reading the verdict. And the judge would read, count one, theft of trade secrets. We, the jury, find the defendant not guilty. My heart, while I'm sitting there, my heart is pounding yeah. so hard. Yeah. And his wife and family are sitting behind me. He's in front of me with his lawyers at defense table. I know, like, we are all just on pins and needles. And so I'm thinking, okay, good, count one. Count two. We, the jury, and we had to go through that 22 times. And it it kept coming back. Not guilty. Count three, not guilty. Not guilty. Count four, not guilty. And I mean, and, and so you could get down to, like, 20 of the 22 you can get down yeah. to 21 of the 22. If any one of them he's guilty, he goes to prison. Right. And so 
I mean, you're thinking, oh my gosh, we've made it. We've made it through We're this. So close. But you can't, We're so but close. you still can't relax no. because you, uh-uh. there's still more. And no. so it keeps coming, not guilty, count 11. And we finally get to count 11 because there are two two parts of it. So it's you have to go not guilty, not guilty with each count. So we go count, oh. count 11, so not guilty. It was like a 1A and B. Like that, yes. 1A, you're not guilty. 1B, you're not guilty. 1B, not guilty. That's exactly what it's like. Yes. Okay. Yes. And we had to go through that for 11 counts, so 22 times of not guilty. And I could not relax. I'm not kidding. I swear, if someone were sitting next to me, they could have heard my heart beating. Because it was just like, boom, doo doo. And we get to the last count, and my eyes are filling with tears. Like, I think we got it. I think we got it. I think we made it. And the last count, the last one, not guilty of oh all counts and i had oh never seen any emotion from men and for the first time men when that last last not came guilty through. came in uh-huh. his head just dropped on the to desk the and oh, he just man. sobbed and his defense oh. lawyers each put their arms around his shoulders mm-hmm. it was like so cool wow it wow. was so awesome Oh, but I have to tell you, like the prosecutor, in his closing argument, the prosecutor started out closing argument by showing himself in full military garb in Iraq and saying to the jurors, I served in the U.S. Armed Forces. <gasps> I served in Iraq for my it's country. It's not about you, I, dude. It, not only is it Thank not you about for you. your service. But this Ex- isn't about you. Exactly. Not only is that, like, does it appear unethical? That is literally a violation of how he should have approached. You cannot include that. It is a complete violation. And you can't object as a defense. You can't object until it's until the juror's not there. Yeah, until it's all over. And the courtroom, the head U.S. attorney was there. All the Becton Dickinson lawyers were there watching this closing argument. All of, like, lawyers, almost every lawyer from the U.S. attorney's office was there. It was packed full and this guy is showing these pictures of himself in full military and I was thinking what a chicken shit move to do that's not fair no and and it wasn't until the jury left and that talk we were... about and then it pitches you against a Vietnamese citizen. exactly exactly it was that's so horrible. prejudicial it was yeah. so prejudicial so wrong so when we got that verdict and oh. not guilty and I was like uh-huh. Yes, we got it in spite of all your crap, in yes. spite of all you, mm-hmm. like, those, there were so many lawyers on that side. I'd never had a case with so many on against oh, us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Aside from the whole U.S. government and everything else. When we, we walked out of the courtroom, I, I was absolutely thrilled, ecstatic that we won. Now, the whole time, we're not allowed to even acknowledge, say hello, goodbye to any of the jurors. The jurors came okay. out of their special door, and the, for the first time, they let them come through the main, like, public area to cross through to leave, and they could choose to go that way, and all of the jurors did, and it was so amazing, Shelly. A lot of the people wanted to hug men and tell him they were so sorry for what he had been through. Mm-hmm. That There were jurors that had tears in their eyes. That oh, wow. They, it was not just moving for us. It was moving for them. It was... Sure incredible this was so amazing to experience i loved it and we were so excited so as the defense team we wanted to get a picture of us 
next to the judge. Of course, the judge, you can't say, do you mind posing for a selfie? Yeah. Yeah. So we we couldn't do that. They have a painting of the judge out in the hallway. And so we decided, hey, we'll stand by this painting. And so we hand some of the family members, hey, here's our phone, hurry and take a picture. So the defense Uh team with men were there getting our picture with him. Uh And they just like snap a couple pictures and here come U.S. Marshals. Hey, delete those off your cameras. You are not allowed to take pictures of the judge. You're not allowed to do that. (laughs) So I'm like, okay. So I take my phone. I'm like, yeah, you bet. (laughs) I, of course, have the picture. I'll post it on social media. <laughs> but it was so fun, and then and then men invited all of us to go to dinner. I mean, this guy had integrity. I my bill every week. I would send him a bill at the end of each week of trial and even preparing. I would uh-huh. email him my bill. The next Monday in court, the first time I saw him after I sent the bill, when we took our first break, men would as we walked out of the courtroom just slip a check into my hand for the oh, entire wow. amount every week. Just such great integrity. So much integrity. He was, now, it was he, so cool. Can he counter sue and get some of his money back, like for anything? He could. You know, like he, he put, paid a lot of money. He did all that stuff. He they did. tried to force him into a contract that he wouldn't get much retirement. Right. Like what right. happened there? He could. Or did he just walk he away? He had thoughts of it. He had thoughts of suing Beckton Dickinson and, and the U.S. Attorney's Office for wrongful prosecution. Honest, after five years of all that stress, he really was a peaceful soul. He just said, I just want my life back. I I have enough. I'll be okay. And we all went to dinner and we laughed. And it was the first time I seen him laugh and joyful. And it was so Uh cool. I'm going to post the pictures because everyone needs to see. Like it was, it, it really was a beautiful thing. And if you need a lawyer, call Tim Scott and John Lemon. They're out of California. It's worth paying them to go wherever you need them because they are incredible if you need a patent wow. lawyer call jason webb i know you don't hear me say this stuff about jack and Attorneys. some of the other oh. lawyers i work with these guys i love and if i'm in a foxhole wow. these are the guys i want to have with me so not all lawyers are bad these guys wow. were amazing and wow. uh anyway this what is what a story what a yeah. story yeah so david beat goliath we got him so thank you for listening to pamela private eye
So we get into trial. It's a jury trial. The government is presenting their case. There were parts of this case that were so incredibly boring. Like, I'm seriously like, please don't fall asleep. (laughs) But there were other parts (laughs) that were really intense. And one of the times Uh 